the day that Michael said those words, you know, God isn't punishing us. He's, he's rewarding Joshua. It was a game changer because Joshua did live his life to go to heaven. He, that's what he lived for. Welcome to The Brave Place, where we journey into the lives of brave men and women who have beat the odds or who are in the trenches right now. Difference makers who have truly discovered the warrior that lives within and are living it out. This is the place that will inspire, encourage, enlighten, and challenge that brave person that lives deep down within all of us. Welcome back to The Brave Place. I'm your host, Christy Rodriguez, and today we're covering a topic that I believe is so important, especially as we head into the holiday season, and that topic is grief. Today, our guest is Michelle Moore. She is a wife, a mom, a Mimi, an educator, a writer, speaker, and currently serves as the principal of a private Christian school. Uh, She's authored a couple of Bible studies, one called A Race Well Lived, and her most recent Bible study, which we're going to talk about today, which is moving forward with grief. Such a huge topic. Michelle, welcome to The Brave Place. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Well, we're honored to have you. Um, I just truly appreciate your courage in this because you definitely have walked the road of grief and the fact that you are still navigating it. I I don't think it ever truly goes away. Um, and the fact that you're still navigating it and you're using your trials, the pain and all of it that comes with it. There's joy in there too, which you do touch on the fact that you're using all of that for the glory of God and to help others. To me, there's nothing more courageous or brave. So just thanks for saying yes to that call. Thank you. I don't call it courage. It doesn't feel like courage. It feels like getting through. Mm. It just feels like and you just got to walk it, mm-hmm. but it doesn't feel courageous at all. It feels very vulnerable and very hard. Well, I equate vulnerability and honesty uh, with courage. So I'm just, I'm just calling it out. You're definitely <laughs> courageous. So before we unpack this book, yeah. let's back up to your story, what inspired this book, what's behind it. So will you just um, let our listeners in on your story? Sure. Um, So on October 29th of 2013, our 16-year-old son, Joshua, um, left home to go for a run, something he had done so many times before. He had been a cross-country runner. He had run thousands of miles, and we thought nothing of it. In fact, as he left I was thinking of some things I needed to remember to tell him when he came home. Um, That night, he did not come home. He collapsed on the side of the road. Um, He went into ventricular fibrillation. Mm. And we're so grateful to God that two ICU nurses found him. And they were able to do CPR and they were able to get him transported to Washington Regional, where we were later airlifted um, to Children's in Little Rock. And three days later, God answered our prayer, not with the answer that we wanted, but he did answer our prayer and Joshua went home to heaven. He was 16. He was 16. And this was nine years ago. Nine years ago, this past Tuesday. So now you have a daughter. We do have a a beautiful daughter, Elizabeth. Mm -hmm. And how old is she? She is 23. She was 14 at the time. You decided to write this book. It was a, it was a long time coming um, I really appreciate what you said about you never really get over grief. You don't. Mm-hmm. And and my husband and I have become very involved with a, a group specifically for bereaved parents called mm-hmm. While We're Waiting. And one of the things that we talk about often is that we just don't get over it. 
because grief involves losing what we had, what we want to have today and what we thought we would have tomorrow. Mm. So it involves the past, the present and the future. That's what makes it so difficult when people sometimes say, are you over that by now? And and we're not. There will mm-hmm. never come a day this side of heaven that we feel like we crossed that finish line and whoosh, man, we've jumped that last hurdle and we have figured out grief and we have overcome it. Just works differently. I love what you wrote. Um, you were sharing a quote by Jamie Anderson. You said, grief I've learned is really just love. It's all the love you want to give, but mm-hmm. cannot. All that unspent love gathers up in the corners of your eyes, the lump in your throat and in that hollow part of your chest. Grief is just love with no place to go. And I just, I love that. I had never heard of that, but it totally makes sense. And just like you say, it's, it's not about getting over it. It's really about learning to live with it yes. and, and navigate life with it. You compare grief to a ball of yarn. Can you unpack that for me a little bit? You read a lot about grief and how there there are stages of it. And there are. I mean, we we did the I can't believe he's gone. We did the angry. We did the the sorrow, which is very different from sadness. What we didn't plan for and what we couldn't have anticipated is that all of those things happen at the same time. Mm. You're not walking through one emotion and checking it off the list and walking through another. It's like a ball of yarn that's all bundled up together and all of your emotions are tangled together and your insides feel like knots. And how do you untangle all of those knots and try to separate that and make it feel less full of knots? How do you, how do you untangle that ball of yarn? So how do you? Not by yourself. (laughs) That's a loaded question. I know (laughs) people grieve differently. I mean, my husband and I, we, we both lost the same son. Like Joshua was, was both of our sons for, for uh, 16 years Mm -hmm. and we grieved him differently because we had a different relationship with him. You know, my husband and, and Joshua, they love to shoot fireworks together. They love to play video games together. Joshua and I love to run together and we love to have conversations together by run together. I mean, I kept him in sight. I didn't mean I could keep up with him. <laughs> so like, I need to make that I was very like, that's clear. Impressive. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> um, you know, there were certain TV shows that we like to watch together. So we grieved him differently and there's no way you can't do this by yourself. I don't know how we could have done it without God, without our church family, without other people who were walking the same journey. And I think there's one thing that's important to point out is that I think sometimes when we are grieving something and someone else is grieving differently, when we don't understand that they're grieving differently and it may not feel to us like they get it or, mm-hmm. you know, and to me that could be a recipe for conflict Mm-hmm. And it could be a disaster. I mean, you hear oftentimes families will break up, you know, husband, wife will split up whenever they've lost a, a child together. So with you and your husband, if this is too invasive, you just don't even answer it. You both grieve differently. There can be a, definitely an ability there to misunderstand one another, or it might even bring you closer. And I was just curious what, what that was like for you. So first I want to talk about families breaking up. That's actually a myth. Parents who have lost a child are no more likely to divorce than those who haven't due to the child's death. Okay. And so I, when people share that with me, it's one of the things that I really want to say. It's not as common as people think it is. We had well-meaning people come 
wondering about our marriage, mm-hmm. you know, that because sure. that's what we hear. Uh, it's not, it's not, um, a huge statistic. Okay. I appreciate you, you saying that. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then, so grieving my husband is, is so wise and, and knew he knew in advance that we were going to grieve differently and that our daughter was going to grieve differently than we did. So children grieve differently from adults and a child may not begin to grieve for three years. Wow. It often really takes them three years to begin the grief process. And so my husband in all of his wisdom in understanding that first knew that we would grieve differently. And he was so kind about what I needed. And so shortly after Joshua died, when I needed to gather every picture on Mm. the earth that I could find for him, my husband just allowed that. And and by allowed, I mean, he knew that's what I needed to grieve. Mm -hmm. He struggled to look at pictures. Mm. That was really hard for him. So you're over here gathering pictures so gathering. and he's over here saying, I, I can't even look at the pictures. Right. Mm-hmm. He needed to design a headstone. I couldn't think that through because that was the last thing that we would ever get to do for Joshua. Michael needed to do that. And he did a beautiful job. I couldn't process it. He couldn't not think about it. And so he understood that I needed all the pictures and his understanding helped me understand that he needed to design a headstone. And I, I think so much of the way we grieved was due to his wisdom and, and, and foresight in that. We had a phrase. We would just check in with each other. How's your heart today? And some days he would say, it's really heavy today. And then the follow-up would be, do you need company? Do you need me to be in this room? to watch TV with you or to just sit, or do you need to be in a quiet place right now? And asking those questions did a lot for us because it gave each of us the ability to voice what we needed. Mm -hmm. Feels like freedom just to be, if you say, Hey, I want to be alone and that's okay. Right. And there's no judgment in that because we both understood that we needed different things to process what was going on. Well, you said that you realized God was not punishing you all when Joshua died. He was rewarding Joshua for a life well lived. Our worst day ever was his absolute best. Is there not comfort in knowing that while we hurt that our children do not? That's a powerful place to come to. A lot of people would say, you know what, God, you told me you'd be my protector. You told me you would show up. I don't feel like you protected my son, my family. I'm out. And they would check out, you know, what kept you from walking away from God? This is such a loss mm-hmm. and a deep loss. And here in here, you are faithful to the Lord. And then this happened. So how did you come to that place? Um, my husband and I both grew up in church. I mean, we we're very, very active church families. And this was the hardest thing we had ever walked through. And I wish that I could tell you that I did. I did not get upset with God. I wish that I could tell you that I didn't say to him, you said you would protect me and you didn't because I did say that to God. Mm-hmm. I said, you said, and I didn't ask you to say these things, but you, you wrote your word and you gave it to me as a promise. And it feels like you're breaking these promises. And I did come across the passage in John six, where um, Jesus has just fed the 5,000. He's just walked on water. And in the very next chapter, they all leave. 
because what he's teaching is too hard. And he looks at the disciples and he says, are you going to leave too? And I read the next line and I never felt something in my core the way that I felt it. When Simon Peter looked at Jesus and he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? And there's no one else that can bring us comfort. There's no one else that can provide. There's no one else who is faithful. And God is faithful. There's nowhere else to go. And that's why I couldn't, I couldn't walk away. Um, the day that Michael said, said those words, you know, God isn't punishing us. He's, he's rewarding Joshua. It was a game changer because Joshua did live his life to go to heaven. And he, that's what he lived for. The day after Joshua collapsed, he was supposed to give a presentation in his oral comm class. And after the service, his teacher gave us his notes from that day, his notebook with his notes. And the first thing that that he had intended to say was some of us look death in the face every day and we're not afraid of her. And I had no idea that my 16 year old son felt that way. I wow. had no, no idea that he thought about his eternity. I thought about his eternity, but I didn't realize that it weighed on him or actually, I guess, didn't weigh mm-hmm. on him. To me, that is such a gift. God went before all of you on that. Can you take me back to that moment when you found out what he had written? What went through your mind? I cried. Mm-hmm. I cried because I had so many questions for him and I knew I wasn't going to get to ask them. Um, I cried wanting to know how he felt so confident in that. How was it that he came to the realization of his own mortality? And those are, those are questions I just, I don't get to know. I don't mm-hmm. get to, I don't get those questions answered. Was it comforting? Very. Mm-hmm. It was incredibly comforting because even while I was hurting and I had never hurt like I was hurting, he wasn't. And he wasn't scared. He wasn't scared of where he was going to go. I am not going to get him back. Like David talks about in Psalms, the, his baby was never going to come back to him, but one day we're going to go there. And that's, that's what we long for. You mentioned fighting. Mm-hmm. And you said, this is not something that you do that a lot of people will even notice because there's such an internal battle going on between you and the Lord and you and life. Grief is exhausting. Mm-hmm. We make thousands and thousands of decisions every day. And when we're carrying the weight of grief, they're, they're compounded. Everything becomes harder. By the time I got up and got dressed for school, I felt like I had worked a full day. And so even finding the strength and the energy to get in the car and just drive and then stand in a classroom to teach is incredibly exhausting. And it is impossible to see the fight that it takes to get out of bed and get up and go and live. After Joshua died, all of our friends helped I me and our friends are amazing and they're all there and they have to go back to their own lives. Mm. They can't come and hold our hand mm-hmm. for years and years and years. They, they need to raise their children and they have jobs and they have all their things to do as well. And mm-hmm. that's, that's an unreal expectation. I love it that you acknowledge that because I, I have a, a good friend. She lost her, her dad and she mentioned something like that, but she looked at it from the other way. She was kind of like, you know, everybody was there the first six months to a year, but then they all left. And she took it 
as a, a negative. So I love it that you acknowledge that because that's the reality of it. People do. Everyone needs to go back to their lives eventually, mm-hmm. but we, we comfort for so long, but we can't comfort forever. But God can. God can. And grief is isolating because it's, it is such an internal battle. Am I going to get up today and do everything I can in faith, knowing that God is going to walk with me? Am I going to choose to find something today that will help me heal? Or am I going to choose to walk in bitterness again today? And, and there are days we walk in that, that sadness and that bitterness. <laughs> and we can't help it. We're human. And my husband and I on holidays, November 1st, Joshua passed away. It's, it's one of the days that we schedule moping and we wrap ourselves in our blanket of sadness and we mope. We walk around the house sad. We look sad. We feel sad. We schedule it and we plan it because we're hurting. About noon, one of us gets up the energy and says, okay, we're done. We're not going to, we're not going to live here. We're not going to build our residence here. We have vacationed here this morning, but we're not going to stay here. And we go and do other things and try to find ways to honor Joshua, um, try to find something to do that we can both enjoy because he lived such a big life and he lived to honor and glorify God. And for us to do anything less is to dishonor his memory. Such a practical way to grieve. Another thing that you mentioned in your book, as you said, uh, you and your daughter, you would choose a day here and there to stay home. Mm-hmm. You make it through the other days a little bit easier if you knew that you had this on your calendar, that you would get to stay home and truly just do nothing, mm-hmm. right? Be, and, and really, it's rest. It is. And and I think so many people, whenever they do go through a deep, hard loss, they tend to not rest and throw themselves into work or something else. Basically, just they never heal or grow. They just postpone the grief healing journey. Right. Tell me how that helped you. Well, we talked about grief fatigue because it's a real thing. And we talked about being tired. If I wake up on Monday and I'm looking at a full work week, a hard work week, and, and as a teacher, I mean, my students needed a teacher. And so I, tr- I tried, I did as, as best I could at the time. Those five days can feel so daunting and so overwhelming. If I know that on Wednesday, I am going to schedule a grief day and I can work that into my schedule and I know that I'm going to get to turn off the alarm clock and just sleep until my body says I'm done. And then I can get up and I can have coffee and I can relax. Or I know that that my daughter and I might take a walk that day or we might go to her favorite restaurant or that Wednesday is going to be a day that I am not so focused on making it in the outside world that I can just be sad if uh-huh. I need to be sad. Uh-huh. I can spend some time with somebody I love. I can I can remember, I can talk about him and I'm not tied to a schedule that a that a workplace involves. It made it easier to get through Monday and Tuesday. Mm-hmm. I could get through Monday and Tuesday because Wednesday's coming, you know, and then I can get through Thursday and Friday because Saturday is coming. It's the, I don't know if I can do this for five straight days. And we did that for probably a year. The next two school semesters, we would just pick a random day. It might be every couple of weeks. It might be every month. When can you miss some things? And we just make a plan. What do we want to do? One day we went around town and did random acts of kindness. It was my daughter's idea. Taped 
quarters to vending machines in the hospital, hid dollar bills in Dollar Tree. Like we just did things that we thought Joshua would have loved. And that's what we spent the day doing. And, and it was, it was really healing. It felt really good. Oh, I love that. You said my goal was to find 365 promises, one for each day of the year. My motives were not pure. I wanted to show that he had messed up and made a huge mistake. But as I dug into his word, I realized how many of those promises God had fulfilled. It was not an overnight change. However, I could not deny that God's word is truth. And then a little bit further down, you said through this process of spending so much time in scripture, God took the shattered pieces of my heart and he ever so gently pieced them back together. That's a pretty powerful word. Take me through that process for you. I wish, I wish that I could say I was one of those people that faced this in a prettier way. And it wasn't, it wasn't pretty at all. Uh, I spent a lot of time in the car spewing scripture. Some of the, some of the verses that are meant to bring comfort did not bring me comfort at all. And I wanted God to know that because we had, we'd given him so many opportunities, you know, we'd, we'd prayed for three straight days that he would heal Joshua. And I couldn't fathom why he wouldn't because Joshua was such a warrior for him. And so it made no sense to me that he wouldn't just fix it and let Joshua keep living. I did. I wanted God to see where he messed up mm-hmm. and I wanted him. I want, I wanted to feel like he understood how deeply that I hurt and that he could have fixed it and he chose not to. And so as I looked for those scriptures, I started to see where many of them were fulfilled. Not always the way that I wanted. My perspective is a very earthly perspective and God's perspective is a very eternal perspective. Joshua was protected for all eternity. He did bring us comfort through friends, through family, through meeting physical needs, through a man who walked into our home one night, sat down, folded a load of laundry, prayed with us and walked out. Mm. That's all he said. He never said anything other than praying, I love you, and left. Um, through the way people reached out to our daughter and invited her to do things. As I continued to look for scripture, I continued to see ways that God was being faithful. If I was honest with myself, I had to do some of that work. It's not all on God. I could have continued to argue with him, but he kept continuing to be faithful over and over. At times when I didn't expect it, at times when I didn't even think to look for it. At times when I didn't know what I needed. I had a friend who called. I finally had gotten the courage to clean up, clean out Joshua's room because that was a hard task. And I had a friend who said, I can't help you do that because I don't know what you want to do with things, but I really want to come over and just sit and listen to your stories Mm. while you do that through students. I mean, the students that would stay after class, Ms. Moore, how are you today? I was thinking about Joshua this morning. I really miss him. Or Miss Moore, I saw this and it reminded me of Joshua. And so I wanted to get it and bring it to you. Students that stayed after school to pray for me out loud in, wow. a, in, a, in a public school. Miss mm-hmm. Moore, I'm, your family's hurting. Can I pray for you? And God just continued to provide people that walked with us. I have a friend who has texted me nearly every morning since Joshua passed nine years ago. Nearly every single morning. And it's always very specific. Today, I'm praying for memories that bring smiles instead of tears. Today, I'm praying for sunshine, even though it's cloudy outside. And so it's always very, very specific. 
and we have a, a wonderful family that recognized when that first Thanksgiving rolled around that our traditions weren't working and we needed to do something different for Christmas. So God was providing, not in the ways that I anticipated, but in the ways that I needed. And so I wanted a scripture for every single day so that I had one all 365 days of the year. And he provided those as well. There's one thing you write about how you remember seeing your daughter finally smile, a true smile, like all the way to her eyes, right? That was a big moment for you. And I just want to talk about that. Just the joy in the morning. I will never forget the day she smiled again, a for real smile, not the fake smile that, that we often paste on Mm -hmm. because it's hard to be around people who are hurting. But the day that she smiled and the hope that just leapt into my heart that day, that we could find reasons to be happy again. And we have. When she got married, people would ask us, are you excited? And we were. And we were sad. And I didn't want to say, but we are really happy and we're really sad that Josh was not here to experience this. When her baby was born last December, we were overjoyed, so excited. And we were sad that Uncle Joshua wasn't here to experience being an uncle. And so we've had to learn to navigate multiple emotions that are opposing emotions joy and sadness Mm -hmm. at the same time. And they can coexist and they do. And it's very, and it's hard to have them wrestle and try to decide which one am I going to let come out today? And, and we let them both. Sometimes we laugh and then we cry. Sometimes we cry first Mm -hmm. and then we laugh. Do you remember a specific moment when you felt like you really smiled? You really felt the joy. And I remember the first time I laughed and felt guilty. That's a struggle among people who grieve, you, you smile or you laugh and then you feel this immense guilt. I shouldn't be laughing. I shouldn't be smiling. I mean, I'm mourning. Joshua would be happy. At least I would want him to be happy if the roles had been reversed. It was not a overnight for me. It was a slow process to get, to get back into where I could smile again and not feel a twinge over that. Like, is it really okay for me to smile It felt very much like betrayal Mm. and I don't want to betray him. And I do miss him. Even when I'm smiling, I miss him. It never goes away, does it? It never goes away. It is such a joy and a treat when people say his name, even when the tears do pool in my eyes. It's such a blessing. I don't cry because someone has mentioned him and I hadn't thought about him. And so all of a sudden I'm sad. I think about him all the time. I cry because I'm so happy that somebody has remembered him. It's been nine years. He was only 16. It's not inconceivable to think that people will forget. And that hurts. The idea that he will be forgotten hurts more than my missing him. What would you say to somebody listening to your journey right now who has gone through a really difficult loss? And 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 I, I want to say this too. You know, I... It has not quite been a year yet, but I'm divorced. I was married 12 years and there's grief in that. There is grief in that. And so reading your book has really helped me to just walk through the grief and understand um, different aspects of that. And just great reminders on navigating 
the grief journey. So what would you say to someone right now who they're listening, they're hanging on for just, they're desperate, any, you know, nugget of hope, what would you say? There are two things that have been, have made a huge impact on me the last nine years. One is revelation. I think it's 1211. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. We find encouragement in one another. We find hope in one another. My husband and I found hope in parents who were further along on the journey and were healing. They were laughing and they were smiling and they were talking. We found hope in that. And so saying in that scripture is, is so important. Finding someone or a group that understands what you're going through. Like you said, there are so many things that we grieve about. We, we grieve relationships. We grieve job losses. We grieve finances. We grieve relationships with our living children. Sometimes we grieve relation. We, we grieve people that have passed. There are so many forms of grief. Finding somebody who's walking that journey that's further along than you that can give you wisdom and insight. I call it drafting. I think some people think it's kind of a corny analogy, but it makes sense in my head. Um, in NASCAR, cars draft behind one another. They tuck in behind one another and they save energy mm-hmm. and fuel. Runners do the same thing. They will tuck in behind a pacer and they will run behind that pacer, kind of protects from from the wind. It sets the pace for them. They don't really have to think. But then later on towards the end of that race, they can hop out. They feel more rested and more ready to finish strong. Mm-hmm. Whatever trial we're going through, if we can find somebody, my husband and I found while we're waiting, we found a group specifically for parents who have lost a child. We were able to tuck in behind them and we talked to them and they prayed with us and we watched them and we listened and we learned from them. And that helped us so that we could pull out and run alongside them. You mentioned the Navy SEALs 40% rule. Yes. You said, even in our grieving, we should be glorifying God. And while it's okay to be on vacation and sadness, it's not okay to build a permanent residence there. So tell me about the Navy SEALs 40% rule. Uh, I learned somewhere, I found a YouTube video. I don't even remember where, but the Navy SEALs have a 40% rule. When you think you're finished, you have only given 40%, which means you still have 60% left to give. So there are days when I am worn out and I remind myself, Okay, according to the Navy SEALs, I've only given 40%. So I still have 60%. Can I muster another 20 to give today? I don't have to make it to 100. Uh I don't have to make it to 100% every day. Yeah. It's okay. It's okay to do the bare minimum some days just to get through the day. Mm -hmm. There is no fault in that. Hearing that I can do more sometimes gives me that courage and that strength to try to do more. Can you give me an example how you navigate his influence in your life? More than anything, Joshua just loved people in big ways. And he was very people oriented. I'm very task oriented. So I really have worked so hard and I'm still so imperfect at this. He could be in the moment. It didn't matter if he needed to be somewhere in 10 minutes and we were 15 minutes away. If someone were talking to him, that was what was important. If this person is hurting and they need to have a conversation, that is what is important. And I, that's one of the things I continue to work on because he was so good at it. And so I 
really have been striving to be more present in the moment and listen and not feel rushed. Right. And get on to the next task Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. Does Uh, not come naturally. Yeah. No, I love that. Well, as we wrap up, I just want to say this about moving forward with grief, um, your book study. What I love about it is it truly takes you through a completely relatable journey. Uh, you weave in scripture, you ask questions. It's truly a Bible book study on grief. So many people will get so much out of this. And I just thank you again for the courage of writing it. And for our listening family, how can they get a hold of this book and how can they find you online? They can find a copy of the book at faithfulhomebiblestudies.com. In fact, you can download the first chapter for free just to see if it's for you. And then I have a blog with eyesonthecross.com. Michelle, thank you again so much for just sharing your journey with us here today. And if you're listening and you want to know more or you have any questions about what we're talking about on The Brave Place, you can email me, Christy at thebraveplace.org or Christy at klrc.com. Christy spelled C-H-R-I-S-T-Y. And until next time, have a brave day. Thanks for listening to The Brave Place, part of the KLRC Podcast Network.